What's up, everybody? This is my audition for you. Well, I bet you never thought you'd see that day come. <laughs> I just uh, belted it out for you. But hey, welcome everybody to The Skunk. This is, of course, the companion podcast to the articles written on trashskunk.com. Now, as of now, uh, what we're going to talk about today actually doesn't have an article to go along with it. Um, and it, it may, and it may not. It's one of those things that I thought was kind of like, it had to happen now. It had to happen today. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But I like to take my time with my articles, usually give them about two or three days of writing and combing through. And if you're somebody who's extremely good at writing, you'll look at my articles and wonder how the hell that could possibly be true. Uh, <laughs> but trust me, for me, it takes me that long to even get there. Uh, but what we're going to talk about today uh, was inspired by a news item that just took place. Uh, and that is that Bill Gates is getting a divorce. Now, this has nothing to do with Bill Gates or his divorce. It just got me thinking about something else that's been sort of in the zeitgeist lately, uh, especially going back over the last maybe two presidential campaigns, uh, maybe a little bit more of this one than the last one. But it's the idea of billionaires. Something we've sort of danced around and talked about a little bit on other episodes of this podcast, but uh, it got me thinking about a question that I used to be very much on one side of, and now I have found myself slowly, like a somnambulant, (laughs) which means sleepwalking. (laughs) I really hate when people use like overly rich language (laughs) to describe something that there's an easy word for, so I apologize to you. If this was the article, that never would have made it in there. But it's I'm finding myself sort of sleepwalking towards the other side of this argument because philosophically, it's a fascinating question and it's something to think about. And and what I want to talk to you about is not going to be me telling you how to feel. I'm not going to tell you even how I feel, although I suspect you'll probably sort of osmosize it into your brain. But I think this is one of those topics and discussions that will be best sort of done in the Socratic form where I just ask you questions and I will let you think about them. And because you don't have a podcast and I do, I will never get to hear what you think, which protects my ego because if it turns out that I've made 99% of you uh, walk away feeling like you've learned nothing, then I won't have to feel like a failure. This is very valuable to me. This is incredibly helpful uh, for me to be able to walk away from this thinking like I've done some good, even if I haven't. So the question is, is it immoral to be a billionaire? Hmm. Hmm. Take your time. Stroke your chin. Let out that big exhale. Where is it? Oh, man, I don't know. It's quite a question there. Uh, I have a feeling that most of you aren't even going to need that much time. I think that uh, most people, at least in my country, which is the United States, uh, would probably immediately answer, no, of course not. It's not immoral to be a billionaire. That's, all, that's everyone's goal, right? Like, we all strive to be billionaires. This is why we look up to... Uh, titans of industry in this country. This is why Elon Musk is a celebrity, because he's extremely rich and runs all these successful companies and has an extreme amount of wealth. So yeah, I think most people would say, no, what's wrong with that? You know, like, shouldn't you be successful? 
shouldn't you get as much money as you can and be as happy and rich as you can possibly make yourself? Like, isn't this the entire motivator behind the way everything works? Um, okay, think about it. Let's talk about a couple things here. So let's return to Bill Gates for a minute, who's getting a divorce now. Um, I don't care about Bill Gates' marriage. I don't care about Bill Gates' uh, terms for divorce. You know, like, oh, does she keep a hundred billion and I keep, uh, you know, twenty-five billion? I don't know what he's worth today, but he's worth quite a bit of money. You know, let's just put it that way. Now, the reason I want to talk about Bill Gates just briefly at the top here is because I think this weighs in heavily on the subject matter. So Bill Gates today, I mean, he has a couple different reputations, uh, but I would say that for the most part, if you live in the real world, in other words, if you're not a conspiracy theorist who thinks he wants to shoot a 5G chip into your veins and track you and prevent you from having kids, because that's not happening, that's total BS, but if you live in the real world and you understand Bill Gates' current real you know, perception among professionals and adults, uh, is that, oh, he's the guy that gives a ton of money to Africa. You know, he retired as the richest man in the world, and he's been spending all of his time trying to figure out things like drinking water for third world countries or finding a better condom or uh, I think even a sewage, you know, like how can we solve the lack of proper plumbing and uh, sewage facilities in the third world where these people are drinking from rivers that someone just took a dump in? You think of that. You think of, oh, he's the extremely wealthy philanthropist that we've all come to know and love as Uncle Bill. Well, I would say that both of these views are a little off. You know, he's not manufacturing 5G chips and vaccines to track you. He's pretty much a retired rich guy, but he's also not necessarily the kind-hearted philanthropist that he seems, although certainly there's no denying that he's put his money where his mouth is in that department. I'm not going to take that away from him. But I'm old enough to remember a time when Bill Gates was viewed as a villain. <laughs> this was a guy who even back then was the richest man in the world in like the 18, you know, the 1990s specifically, but he started this practice way back in the late 70s, early 80s. He was known as the ultimate corporate pirate, the most ruthless man in America. He was known to uh, basically, he built Microsoft up to become this dominant company, and then instead of engaging in the, you know, often lauded and often talked about uh, free market of ideas and competition, and well, hey buddy, you've got a company too, well, well, may the best man win, you know, see you in the marketplace. Yeah, Bill didn't play like that at all. Bill played for keeps in a bad, bad way. Bill would, if he saw a uh, an up-and-coming company as a potential rival or something that he just wanted to own, he would approach them, make an offer to buy them out to get them out of the marketplace and stop competing with him. Okay, that's not completely abnormal, but he did this over and over again to everyone who could potentially compete with Microsoft. And if anybody ever said no, well, then Bill would make it his personal mission to destroy your company. So it really was a sort of pirate's bargain where <laughs> this man with all the money in the world would come and say, hey, nice uh, nice little company you got here. Those new desks, <laughs> they look good. They look good. Hey, uh, I'd sure like to own this company. What do you say you sell this to me? And some people would, but a lot of people would say, no, 
I'm just like you. I built this company from the ground up out of my parents' garage. I'm really proud of it. You know, we went from having two teenagers uh, working at a parent's house all the way to having 2,000 employees and we make millions of dollars. Like, why the hell would I sell this to you? This is my pride of ownership. This is my company. And Bill would say, okay, you sure about that? And the person would say, Yes, I'm sure. Thank you for your offer. I mean, it's an honor to be considered by Microsoft, but no, I'm not selling this to you. Bill would then go right back to his office and immediately figure out how to destroy this company or, if it was a public company, engage in a hostile takeover, which is when you, you know, against the will of the uh, owners of the company, buy up all of their shares and therefore become the primary shareholder and therefore own a controlling interest of the company. Bill would do one of these things time after time after time. And he had a reputation of just being the most unscrupulous, ruthless, uh, hostile actor in the business community. So this continued for years. You know, Bill was a villain. Everyone really didn't like Bill Gates. And he would always try to come off as a nice guy like he still does today. At the end of the day, he is just kind of a computer nerd. But there came a time, and I'm not sure if this story is apocryphal or if it's true. Either way, it makes sense. But sometime in the late 90s, Bill got a hold of a pre-written obituary for him in one or several newspapers, because as you know, famous people always have obituaries written, you know, pre-written by the news. In case they die, then the news doesn't have to think about writing it. They just have it. Boom, they publish it. So Bill got a hold of one of these obituaries or a few of them for himself and read through them. And what did he find in there? Well, I think what Bill Gates expected to find in there was... Uh, titan of industry, captain of ideas, you know, amazing beacon of light for American entrepreneurship, dead today, uh, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what he found. What Bill Gates' <laughs> pre-written obituary said was, goodbye, asshole. <laughs> you know, like, here's a guy who did everything he could to squash competition, to bankrupt businesses, to dominate through any... Uh, unethical measure he could, the business sphere, uh, good riddance, uh, you are not going to be missed. And as the story goes, this really hit Bill. You know, he thought, much like Steve Jobs and a lot of these other Silicon Valley uh, narcissists, that like, what? How could they hate me so much? I'm trying to make the world a better place. I just wanted everyone to have the best version of Windows 95 that they could. That's not how Bill Gates talks, but that's my impression of uh, (laughs) people when I don't like them very much. And so he was shocked by this. He could not believe it. And they say, this is what turned Bill Gates from the ultra-capitalist super predator into the modern philanthropist, right? In the year 2000, he retired from Microsoft. He stepped away as CEO. And ever since then, we've seen nothing... But uh, charity work from him and all the things I mentioned before, right? Trying to make the world a better place. So that's what got me thinking about this when I read about his divorce. And I connected it to something that came up, you know, in those elections I mentioned, which is something Bernie Sanders said, which is that uh, I'm going to paraphrase him here because I don't have the exact quote in front of me. And people have misquoted it a lot, too. But basically the idea that it's immoral (laughs) to be that rich right? Can you ever become that rich without being immoral to begin with? And as Bill Gates did, is there a way to ever accumulate hundreds of billions of dollars without stepping on people, hurting people, 
screwing over the little guy, screwing over even the big guy when you get the chance, just clawing your way up to the top and then having more wealth than anyone could ever possibly spend in a lifetime. Well, you could say, maybe it is, maybe it is possible. Sure, maybe there's a scenario where someone navigates the ruthless business atmosphere of America or some other country, and somehow through being a nice guy and doing right by people, uh, does get to be as wealthy as Bill Gates, does get to become one of the richest men in the world. Okay, so let's imagine this person's got $80 billion which is something like Bill Gates had back then when he retired. I, I think it was around $80 billion. Okay, is it still moral, even if you did everything right in the business world and you earn this legitimately without hurting a fly? Well, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, yes, it's perfectly moral. He did nothing wrong. What, what, are we punishing success here? You know, why, why would this be, uh, who has a problem with this? You know, good for him. Isn't this what we all are trying to do? be as nice as we can while also becoming as rich as we can. I thought that's what we were all up to here. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> but if you think about it a little bit more, and again, I'm not going to tell you what to think or how to think or how I feel, but think about it a little bit more because there's more to the puzzle than just did you step on people to get to the top. There's the idea that somebody having 80 million or 80 billion, you know, 120 billion, $180 billion to themselves and their private bank account or tied up in stock? Well, that's an awful lot of money for one person. And if you walk around the city you live in and interact with people, you will learn very quickly that everyone else pretty much has severe financial concerns for themselves. <laughs> uh, no one else is feeling that comfortable and secure. Almost nobody. Even rich people, and I've known several rich people because I've grown up in a big city, they're always stressed out like you wouldn't believe. And guess what about? Not about getting gray hair, not about uh, missing their flight from LAX or whatever. No, they're stressed about money. <laughs> Even the richest people I've ever met, people with tens of millions of dollars, are stressed about money. Interesting how that works. Now, I doubt Bill Gates is stressed about money, but it is funny that most people will never get the privilege of having tens of million dollars and feeling stressed about it. Um, people on the street are stressed about more pedestrian, uh, normal concerns. Like, hey, you know, I work a normal blue-collar job and I have all these bills to pay and I'm like, I worry all the time about losing my job because I don't have a lot of savings because I can't make any savings because everything costs so much. Like, I kind of feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place here. And I'm, you know, like I've mentioned in other episodes, I'm one medical bill away from having to sell my car to pay for it or whatever it might be. Yeah, people don't have it that well. A lot of people don't. Some people do, a lot of people don't. And even the rich people that I mentioned are people who are so overextended because they think that because they're rich, they can buy whatever they want and take out endless lines of credit. Well, these people still have bills that are even worse than the poor people do, you know? These are people who buy enormous houses with enormous mortgages, they, have, they buy a bunch of different cars, they pay for everything on credit because they think, hey, I've got a couple million bucks, I can handle this. Well, soon they don't because everybody forgets about interest and everybody forgets that debts balloon. When you borrow a hundred bucks, you're going to owe 200 bucks. It's just not that easy. So all I'm saying here is that there's a lot of places in society where $180 billion could go 
And and it's I'm not even talking like directly into the hands of private citizens, but like. What about the schools that need funding that these poor, poor people have to get their taxes raised to pay for it? You know, what about roads? What about uh, police departments where the police only make $15,000 a year and are thus sort of exposed to potential bribery and corruption because it's a lot easier for them to just take money to uh, cover things up or let a drug cartel continue operating than there is in just doing their job? You know, there's a lot of places this could go. There's also towns that are depressed because there's not enough economic activity there um, and nobody's making any cash. Everyone in a Walmart town in the South, if you've ever been to what's called a Walmart town, and I have, uh, it's a town where hundreds, maybe thousands of people live and everyone just works and shops at the Walmart. This is a classic company town. So everyone there makes minimum wage and everyone pays the, the place that they work basically right back for their groceries and everything else they could ever want. It's a really weird, sick system where these people have no chance of escape. Um, you think about all the places that $180 billion could go. And we're just talking about one billionaire, by the way. For right now, this is just one guy. Um, and it's kind of sick. It's kind of weird. So should Bill Gates feel bad about having all this money and all this, you know, his property is worth a lot. His stock portfolio is worth a lot. He probably owns a private plane and a bunch of cars. So his wealth is not all obviously in liquid cash. People always like to assume a billionaire just has a bank account with $180 billion in it. No, they don't. They, it's tied up in goods too. Most often it's in stock or real estate. Um, but I think Bill Gates' house costs something like $124 million, somewhere in that ballpark. Okay, that's a lot. Like, look, maybe we don't want the guy to sell his house and liquidate it so that that money can go to schools. That's fine. But that's only $124 million out of something like 80 to $180 billion. He's in there somewhere now. He's definitely up over 100 at this point. So this is odd. Is that moral? You know, there's something else to consider here. When, when we talk about that money being tied up, it means that there's no churn. Um, if a business is bringing in $180 billion and it is constantly buying new supplies, paying employees and expanding and spending that money, well, that's okay because the money returns to the economy. That's just what we call revenue, money coming in and money going out. It's not just coming in and staying. So $180 billion of revenue is a good thing for the economy and it's a good thing for everybody because it means that, yes, this big company is pulling in billions and billions of dollars and it is distributing out to people who can then go spend it or it's buying, you know, buying things from other businesses and then they get money. And it basically dissipates this cash across the system in a positive way. This doesn't work with private billionaires. <laughs> the cash goes to them and it sits there. And in their minds, and even in the minds of us, in a lot of ways, when we look at them, we think that guy spent a lot of money on that house. That guy bought a, a what? He bought a yacht? Man, he's spending so much money. But if the guy has $180 billion, he's not spending that much money. It's sort of inconsequential because most of that money is sitting in it, just accumulating more interest for him. It's not going anywhere. It's not in the economy. The money is tied up in stock, in real estate, and it is not moving. It is not being distributed to employees or, or he's not buying things from other businesses in, in a uh, large enough way to make a dent. It just sits there. And the thing with investments is they appreciate, just like, you know, a loan has an interest rate that makes it cost more. If you borrow 100, you're paying back 200. Well, an investment's the opposite. If you bought it for 100, 
wait a couple of years, it'll be worth 200. But again, because this person can't spend that money fast enough and it's not going anywhere and they don't even want it to go anywhere because they're greedy, it, it, it just is this wealth vacuum out of the economy. It sucks money out of the economy and distills it to the very richest among us. This is what people complain about when they talk about, we're mad at the 1%, you know? We're pissed off at the 1% because all the wealth goes there and blah, blah, blah. Some people turn around and say like, Stop being mad at rich people, you know? This is their thing. They're, they're very uh, smart and lucky, and this is how they got their, their, uh, their money through hard work and blah, blah, blah. That's not true. They're making it off interest. They're making it off accumulation of uh, investments that only appreciate that somebody who works at a Rite Aid will never get a chance to do. It's not an even playing field at all. And at least the person that works at Rite Aid leaves the Rite Aid, goes across the street to McFucking McDonald's, and buys some food, and it goes to those people's paychecks. The, the, the people at the bottom are actually contributing more <laughs> in this way, you know, en masse, than the people at the top. Um, and I'm not trying to get off on a Bernie Sanders rant here, although we did start kind of with a quote from him. But just think about this. If you let that vacuum go on long enough, where money just accumulates at the top and doesn't go anywhere, because rich people don't spend it, it just gets reinvested in their private accounts, well... Here's how we wind up with something like this. Today, the top 1% of Americans has a combined net worth of $34.2 trillion. Trillion. This is 30% of all wealth, personal wealth, in the United States. So 30% of our wealth belongs to 1% of us. Do you think that's going to reverse at some point on its own? Do you think that if we look back at this in 10 years, it's going to be the top 10% of Americans hold the 30% of all that wealth? No, it's going to be more like the top 0.5% of Americans hold 30% of all household wealth because wealth itself is a vacuum. If you can invest money, you can make money. Now, of course... People who love this system uh, are usually people who have money to begin with because if you have you have to pay to play here, guys. If you go to a casino and you only got two bucks to play with, you're not walking out of that casino with a million dollars. But if you go to that casino and you have $100,000 to play with and you can keep taking risk, you can keep putting down money when things don't work, and you can keep playing the odds. And you could also make bigger bets, right? Like instead of a $1 or $2 bet, you can bet $50,000 on a roulette spin. Well, you have a much better chance of walking out of there with some cash. That's how this works. It is not a one-to-one analog of a casino, but it is the best comparison I can muster for you. Having money increases your odds of having more money. Having very little money increases your odds of never getting more money. It's very, very difficult to rise above poverty. There, there's, there's not a lot of ways up here. Um, so this all comes back to our question. Let, let, let's restate the question. Is being a billionaire immoral? Does having that much money make it a bad thing for society? Are we losing out because you're winning so hard? And if that might be true, um, what would we do about it? You know, is there, you know, some people have suggested, what about a wealth cap? You know, what if, uh, what if we just said, you can't have more than $1 billion? You know, every dollar you make after $1 billion goes back into something else, right? It gets redistributed in some other way to some other people. Well, People have counter arguments to this. You know, the big one would be, 
Would people stop being motivated to work? You know, would people who wanted to be CEOs and ran companies, would they just not even want to try that hard? Because they knew that like, well, the most I'll ever make is a billion dollars. It's not worth it. Or alternatively, somebody starting a company, would they just take it to another country with no wealth cap? You know, like my goal is to get rich. The United States stops you getting rich at a billion dollars. I'm taking it to Australia or I'm taking it to Canada or, you know, wherever we would go here. I'm not playing here because there's a cap on my winnings. That's possible. It is totally possible. You know, what I would say to that is that there are still so many advantages to living in America, especially if you're an American, right? You get to be around your own people. You have beautiful cities, wonderful place to live. You might enjoy the American culture. And also, do you really think that anybody on earth outside of the very rare Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates club would say $999 million is not enough for me. <laughs> you know, like I'm not even going to try to make any money because if I can't make a billion, I'd rather make nothing. That's stupid because all of us are already trying to make money knowing full well, we will never make a billion dollars. I'll never be a billionaire. Trust me, I still show up and work really hard and try to make as much money as I can because a million dollars would be a lot of money to me. You know, two million would be amazing. Ten would be a dream. To get all the way up to $999 million and then throw a tantrum, you are a very silly person at that point. And I think uh, there's a question there about your morals. I would say that's the question we're talking about. Do you need to have $50 billion and do you not feel bad about all the budgetary problems in other places where people are homeless, starving, can't pay their medical bills, they're sick, and they can't afford to pay you know, for, for their kids to go to school or for them to go to the doctor and they have to make that decision? And you're sitting on 50 bill? Come on, man. I don't know. There's a really good question there about morality. And everybody's going to have a different answer, right? If you think that it's okay to be a billionaire, I, I want you to know that I'm not going to take you to task for that. I'm not going to say you're a bad person. I'm just asking a question here because it's an interesting question to me. You know, it's a very fascinating thought experiment. Is it immoral to have too much money? Even if you go back to the Bible, which I'm not such a fan of, but they're really, really hating rich people in the Bible. <laughs> they... There's not a lot of love for material wealth in the Bible. Um, I think I talked about it in another episode, but there is that famous line like, you know, it'd be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Well, if that's not kind of like winking at what we're talking about, I'm not sure what it is talking about. I think they're saying exactly sort of what this concept is all about, you know? Having too much money while other people struggle to get by and survive might be philosophically immoral. Might not be okay. Does it mean that we need to come take all your money away and give it away for free to poor people? No. No, I think that's, that's wrong too. I, again, I don't know what the answer is here. I just think it's so worth thinking about. Because philosophically, how you look at the world, is it... I need to race as fast as I can to get as much money for myself and everyone else can kiss my ass and I just want to be a winner and make them all losers? Or is your goal more like, how can we build a world where all that money that's sitting in Elon Musk's personal wealth 
belongs to the employees of Tesla, <laughs> who actually really run that company and aren't just the Twitter figurehead who shows up to board meetings and has some ideas and jets off to screw a movie star in Lake Tahoe. How is it that that guy fights to keep wages stagnant at his company, fights against people getting you know benefits at his company, uh, and then goes and has all that private wealth that he'll never spend in it in a hundred lifetimes? How can you, like, I'd love to hear, is, is that moral? You know, do you think that that's a, a morally right position to be in? Hmm, I don't know. A couple ways to think about it. How about this? You know, I love my math. Let's talk a little bit more about some figures here. So the top 50 richest Americans, just 50 people. This is the... You know, this is one section on an airplane, you know, section B, you got 50 people. This is a large urban classroom, 50 people, you know, not a lot. If 50 people came, uh, came out to a club one night, it would be considered a dull night. But these top 50 people now own $2 trillion in wealth, right? $2 trillion. That's a lot of money. To put it in perspective, keep in mind that we just fought tooth and nail, back and forth, bitterly bickering with one another over a $1.9 trillion stimulus to get money to every single American and businesses to help pull us out of an economic rut. We, we had to scrape and fight so hard to come up with $2 trillion dollars. Apparently, all we had to do was ask 50 people. <laughs> you know, there's 50 people walking around who could have said, uh, yeah, we can just pool our resources. Now, of course, that's not fair because that would bankrupt all of those people and no one's asking for that, obviously. But I'm just trying to give you an idea of all of our wealth that we have to scrape and save for and fight to get together collectively. 50 people could have done that. That's how disproportionate this is. It's really wild. It's really wild. Um, so I kind of like looked around online. I was like, well, what do people think about this? You know, I Googled a couple terms surrounding, um, billionaires and immorality and wealth cap and all that stuff just to see what does the average American feel about this? Um, one guy here named Steve, his little like tagline next to his account says, I reached the top 2%. And of course, this is his opinion. Why cap wealth? For what purpose? Wealth, especially great wealth, is invested in the economy to create more wealth. And that's a superior use than anything the government would do with it. That's like telling successful people to stop being successful. Huh? Financial gains are taxed today, whereas taxable gains would stop producing more tax revenue with a cap. Good outcome? Question mark. Moreover, caps destroy motivation to invest and work harder. Caps destroy incentives essential for this system to work. Who comes up with these ideas? Well, he's got some interesting points there. It's kind of some stuff that I brought up earlier, you know. Um, does this destroy incentive, knowing that you can't have $180 billion, but you might only get $179 billion? You're not going to come to work for that? All right, what if it's, what if the wealth cap is $50 billion? Are you going to say, no, I needed $51 billion. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done here. Lower it again, $25 billion. That's the cap. Dude, I needed 26. Deal off. I'm moving to Canada. 
It seems a little asinine, doesn't it? It seems a little temper tantrum-y. Um, again, none of, no, none of us, you listening, me, we're, we're never making $25 billion. I'm sorry, it's just not happening. But if you could be told you'd make 24, but you couldn't make 25, I'm pretty sure you'd still show up to work. I'm pretty sure you'd still start that business. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very confident. The other thing is that, like I said, I think in uh, hard work is a myth, you know, only 10 to 16 percent, depending on how you count it, of Americans even own businesses to begin with. And most of those businesses are small businesses or franchises of like a subway shop, you know. These are things that are not going to make their owners billions of dollars. Most of us are already under a social contract in one way or another that we, we know and acknowledge and we've signed on the dotted line. We're well aware that we will never be billionaires. Well aware. But we do it anyway. I still go to work knowing I'm not going to make a billion dollars. This is insane to, to even say this. Um, and it ties into a, uh, a famous quote that was maybe misattributed to John Steinbeck. I've seen the actual quote, so it's worded a little bit differently than this, but this is the gist of it. And I would say, sorry, Steinbeck, one of my favorite writers, but this is a little more to the point than, than how you put it. So the quote is this, you know, socialism never took root in America because the poor people see themselves not as an exploited class, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. <laughs> I love this one. It basically means that the reason no one would agree here to a wealth cap on billionaires or on anything is that they all see themselves, we all see ourselves as one day millionaires. Each of us likes to think in the back of their mind like, yeah, I'd love to vote for that, but what if I'm the next Elon Musk? And this is as you're working your shift at Burger King. Yeah, I don't know about this whole billionaire thing. I think you should be as rich as you need to be because I one day plan to be there myself. Even knowing that if that money was to return to you, it would help you today, right? So you're worried about not having to pay taxes later and willing to take the hit today on the 0.01% chance or less that you will one day be a billionaire. These are horrible odds. If you were going to put money down on a table in Vegas on these odds, I would grab your wrist and say, no, don't keep your money. This isn't, you're not going to win here. It makes no sense. No one wins this. Yes. Yeah, the couple, a handful of people, there's a reason that in a country of 300 something million people, we all know the billionaires names. This is a very small club of people. I once read a book called Why Nations Fail. It was given to me by, uh, by a friend. And it basically, it's, it's a longish book, but it all really amounts to one idea. At the end of the day, I think they could have edited this thing quite a bit, but the idea is a good one, which is that the difference between nations which are successful and nations which are not is where does the money go? Nations that fail always lean into the wealth vacuum that sucks money up from the bottom and accumulates it at the top. Nations that succeed always take the money from the top and give it back to the bottom so it can be spent through the system again and come right back up to the top. Think about like a water fountain. How does that work? Well, it doesn't work by just magically generating water out of nowhere at the bottom and shooting it out the top to go nowhere. No, a water fountain works because water goes from the bottom up to the top and then it comes back down again and then it gets sucked up again. It's a cycle. It's a loop. 
But if the water fountain only had a, a, a basin of water at the bottom and it just sucked up all the water to the top and it just sat there, even if it, you know, it's like only, you know, 30% of the water stays up there every time and more trickles down. Well, over time, eventually, all the water will be at the top. None of the water will be at the bottom. That's money for poor people and people at the top. If we allow people to accumulate this much wealth and continue to grow that wealth and take money out of the economy and keep it in stagnant pools that are just investments for individuals, uh, the people at the bottom start to suffer. The money dries up, right? The only way that quote-unquote trickle-down economics ever works is if something actually trickles down at some point. (laughs) If it's not trickling, no one's getting it. Uh, Trickle-down economics, by the way, doesn't work, never has. No one's ever been able to point to a point where it works. It basically just does this. Give more money to the people at the top. It'll come down. Except people, even the richest of people, are still people at the end of the day. They're going to be greedy as hell. When have you ever been comfortable cutting a check? Even in your best year where you're making the most money and you're just absolutely killing it, when have you ever really felt like spending money? (laughs) You know, have you ever been thrilled to write a check? Well, that's just human psychology. And even when you have $180 billion, that part of your brain still exists. You know, you think Jeff Bezos doesn't cringe a little bit when he buys a yacht? I know that he does. I know that he does. He would probably say that he doesn't, but you and I both know he cringes when he buys a yacht because that's less money. Even if he knows he'll make that money up in a day or less, which I'm sure that he does at Amazon, he still hates spending it. So why would we ever assume money to trickle down from the top? People hoard, they accumulate, and they invest for themselves. And that's fine, but why can't we make it available you know, for everybody to do that? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. So well, what do you do about this? Honestly, I don't know. It's a question to you. I'm not uh, pushing any policy here. This isn't one of those episodes where I'm like, here's how we fix it. Here's what we need to do. I don't have an answer. And even if we agreed that being a billionaire was in some sense immoral, okay, that's kind of the end of the conversation. You know, I think uh, neither of us are billionaires. We don't have much we can do about it. But it is an interesting philosophical thought. Is it wrong to have that much money? Does the system that sucks up the money from the bottom and hoards it at the top a good system for for anybody but the handful of people at the top? Do you see any scenario where this is good for you and me and normal people who go to work at normal jobs? To be honest with you, I kind of struggle to understand it. Unless your whole life outlook is just, who cares about everybody? It's a race. (laughs) It's a race, and may the winners win, and may the losers fall by the wayside. And that's an outlook that a lot of people have, and okay, that's your outlook. Is that the best outlook for society? Eh, I'll leave you to decide that. Anyway, I thought that was this would be sort of a, a fun conversation, um, a one-sided conversation to have. I'm sure I could bring somebody in here to just argue tooth and nail about this, but that's uh, what I want you to think about. It's interesting, right? Worth a thought. Anyway, Bill Gates and Melinda go in their separate ways. These are people who uh, famously, when they got married, Bill rented every single hotel room on a Hawaiian island to ensure that no outsiders would be there. 
And then he also rented every helicopter on that island, and I think the surrounding ones as well, to make sure that no paparazzi could rent a helicopter and spy on him and his wife. This guy, during their, their honeymoon, rented out a whole Hawaiian island to himself to walk around and not have pictures taken. I have my doubts that anybody would want a photograph of Bill Gates in a Speedo on a beach, but it's probably worth something at the time to the press. That, uh, does that seem normal to you, that somebody should be able to do that? I'm not saying that we wouldn't all love to have that privilege, but again, the severe disconnect between that guy's life and your life, it is, I think, being underestimated when people defend billionaires. The rest of us can't do that kind of a thing, even though we would love to. And what did that do? It probably deprived a lot of people from taking their vacation that week because none of the hotels were available. <laughs> you know, Who knows what else? I'm sure that the local industries on that island suffered from having no goddamn business because there was no tourists. But God forbid someone takes a picture of Bill Gates or somebody has to see him on his honeymoon. Um, you know. There's a lot of stuff to be talked about, is what I'm saying in this realm. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. So anyway, I won't bore you with it any further. Wanted to touch base as Bill Gates and his wife part ways, talk about his legacy, and talk about the morality of being a billionaire. Think about it, and that's it. All right, guys, have fun. Enjoy. Make you money. Good day. And I'll see you next time on Trash Day.